spoon You're home for the stuff you're thinking anyway Hey everybody, I'm Fish And I'm Steve And this is The Ear Spoon, found at TheEarSpoon.com Presented to you by Mocha Joe's Coffee and uh, that other Series place Series Natural Remedies There we go, get your CBDs on Right out of the gate once again, Tom Squitteri from Talk Media News Pentagon um, correspondent Good afternoon, how are you guys today? I am uh, I'm well Yeah, me too Depends when you ask, but right at this moment, I'm fine. Right, yeah. I mean, that'll pass. That's right. inevitable. <laughs> but uh, all right, let's uh, let's get right into it. Let's uh, talk about uh, China, South uh, South Korea. Oh, yeah. Well, here's what's uh, uh, here's what's interesting about that. Uh, we had a briefing this afternoon at the Pentagon with General Brown. He's the uh, he's the head of uh, U.S. Pacific Air Forces. Okay, and um, he 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 was a very interesting guy. He's been on a job about four months, but he's a veteran. He's been in Central Command for several years, and he he was talking about um, he was asked about the exercises being postponed or downgraded in Korea, and he says at the moment um, they haven't had much of an impact, but there's a concern he would have down the road if they continue to cancel or adjust the the military exercises. He did say that they no longer fly over South Korea as part of routine training exercises at the request of the South Korean government. This is all, of course, poised toward uh, helping um, push along the diplomatic effort between South Korea and North Korea and, of course, the United States from the summit last June. So, uh, you know, we're getting we're getting these different sort of indications from Pentagon officials, both on the record, like today, and off the record, uh, that there's a little bit of a concern now that uh, the high tempo of the training that was underway uh, in Korea is being diminished. General Brown noted that he had been in Korea 30 years ago on, on the assignment and then 20 years ago, and that overall, the, he said something like the peninsula is more ready today than it's ever been. Okay. So then he was asked, but wait a minute, how is that possible if we're getting these diminished training exercises? He says, well, he thinks they hit the, high, I'm paraphrasing him now, but he hits the high watermark before the June summit with uh, with President Trump and Kim Jong-un. And now, you know, because there's a slowdown in the training, it's diminished a little bit. But he said historically, it's still in the best shape ever. So, uh, you know, what, what, what he did say a couple, the guy was very, this general was very candid and, and he was much, very much appreciated by Pentagon reporters. The other thing he talked about in the region is China, which of course, as you guys know, they've been militarizing these islands in the South China Sea. The U.S. protested, others have protested. China is basically ignored the protests, mm. and they have been aggressively intercepting U.S. vessels that are sailing in the area. He was asked if they're being intercepted in the air, and he said, somewhat surprisingly, not so much, and when they do, it's very professional. He said the bombers haven't been bothered much. U.S. intelligence aircraft, no surprise, have been intercepted on a more regular basis, but again, it's professional. And he, mm. he made an interesting allusion about mm. intent and use uh, he, he realizes that they're arming those islands, but coming from Central Command, which, of course, is the Middle East, but in Syria now with, with China on those islands now, I don't know if that's mm. going to be comforting a lot to, to many people, knowing that they have a sophisticated system that they could just turn on at any time. Hey, Tom, any tie-in to what's occurring uh, uh, or has occurred in the last couple of days with uh, Russia and the Ukraine and, and you know, in terms of global militarism and muscle flexing? Uh, how does that tie into any know, conversation? No, that, they were pretty silent on that topic here today. Uh, you, you know, they, they meaning Pentagon officials, have been silent on that today, mm -hmm. at least to me. I asked them that a little bit, and there wasn't much much talk on that. 
part of it, I believe, is because um, what are you going to do? And they're trying to do a collective action through NATO. Uh, there were there was denunciations of it in the UN today, which is sort of the diplomatic step that has to be taken early on and first. So mm. I think that they didn't want to distract attention away from that action. And it was a pretty unified voice of objection to the Russians on their slow annexation of Ukraine bit by bit. You know, they try to see how much they can get away with this time. And so um, there's not much militarily the United States can do about that short of, you know, an all-out war, which isn't going to happen. Well, plus we have a president that gives a, a nod and a wink to uh, to violence and murder anyway. <laughs> so whatever you need to do. I, I, I didn't hear I didn't hear that. I'm sorry. I said, plus we have a president that gives a nod and a wink to uh, to violence and murder. Anyhow, uh, vis-a-vis uh, Saudi Arabia. So there's a, a oh, question that, you know, that we have a chief executive who, who uh, and again, the question is still, what is his relationship with Russia and its its agenda? Uh, is it possible he's just going to like go like, hey, what are you going to do? You know, when in fact some, yeah. some would argue otherwise. Yeah. No, I hear what you say on that. And yeah, the pushback on Russia, you know, it's kind of odd what could happen or what wouldn't happen there. Uh, you know, it's it's no surprise what they're doing, um, but but no one seems to be able to think of a way to to counter it, short of uh, of some economic sanctions, which don't, don't seem to be really working. Yeah. And you know, the Ukrainians would have to fight the Russians, and they could probably get some tacit or direct military support from NATO. They're not a member of NATO, and, and unlikely they will be in member of NATO soon. So any kind of support from NATO would be uh, could be problematic since there's no treaty or anything like that that would trigger that. Right. So let me um, let's just delve in then for, from there because that, that's all you know. I mean, there's just a lot of moving parts with that. There's just you know, I don't I don't even know I I, I don't even know how you keep track of it all. And which uh, seems like a natural segue to uh, Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> so, yeah. so there you go. and her bid to uh, keep keep the House and 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 the speakership and uh, what what's what's the latest on all of that? Uh, yeah, well, it seems like now there's a not seems there are there is a, still a group of Democrats who are members of what's called the Problem Solvers Caucus, which was created a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bipartisan caucus of about 50 House members, almost equally split between the Republican and Democratic parties. And their goal is to sort of reform the House in their way, to come up with bipartisan legislation, to, to give a boost to the old bipartisanship that used to be more prevalent in the House. And over the last year or so, they worked on uh, fixes to Obamacare and a couple other things. And now their big thing is they can't come up with an agenda that whoever's going to be the next Speaker of the House, they will support if he or she would agree to certain things in the agenda. And basically those items focus on if there's a legislation that's been introduced with strong bipartisan support, it would go to the the start, the top of the list of action on the floor, for example. In other words, they're designed to promote bipartisanship. They would have a, a, an element where one member, this is inside baseball talk, could not take down the speaker. In other words, could call for a vote of confidence on the speaker. So the idea is to give more rights to the minority, whoever that party is, but in a, but to also enhance opportunities for bipartisanship. Now, Pelosi has said she agrees with most of those ideas. Uh, 
what I what I find interesting is this, and I've asked the question on Hill a couple times. I don't cover Hill, so I'm not up there a lot. But right before the election, one of the uh, Republican incumbents in Pennsylvania, his last name is Fitzpatrick, Brian Fitzpatrick. Uh, he's he's a former FBI agent. He was running for re-election, and he won re-election. But he was running on the fact that he was a member of this Problem Solvers Caucus. He was reaching out to to increase bipartisanship. And et cetera, et cetera. And he wasn't so much the old-fashioned Republican, the, I'm sorry, the new-fashioned Republican that people are seeing, but more like an old-fashioned Republican. He won re-election, as I said. He was on NPR before the election, and I heard him being interviewed, and he was asked somewhat direct. he was asked directly, well, you know, will you vote for a Democrat for Speaker if that individual matches up with the, 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 the agenda of your problem-solvers caucus? And he didn't answer. You know, he said the caucus will support whoever, you know, supports our agenda, but he would not say he would vote for a Democrat. So what you see right now, at least what I've seen right now, is some Democratic members of that caucus are saying they're not going to vote for Pelosi because she's not with the program. But you're not seeing any Republicans come out and say, well, we'll vote for Pelosi if she sticks with the program. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a negative now for Pelosi and not a potential positive. Now, on, in a larger scope of things, there hasn't been a, a Democratic challenger yet to surface to Pelosi to c- compete with her for the speakership. The Republicans have put up a candidate, of course, uh, but that's not necessarily relevant unless, unless that individual can get Democratic votes to swing he or she over to the speakership. Well, the concern for, from the progressive side <clears throat> seems to be um, and, I, and I've seen many people, including Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, saying, like, Let, let's support Nancy Pelosi around this. But, you know, the concern is that the progressive agenda, progressive wishes will be given short shrift or, or marginalized. Why? Well, when I, when I ask these people, I ask, I, I hear what you're saying. I hear the same thing. Mm. I ask these people, why do you think that? I mean, why do you think that, uh, you know, I'm not not a defender of Pelosi, but right. I'm puzzled as to why they say that because she, you know, she's very skilled. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and she's probably learned her lessons the hard way. You know, they lost the majority in the house and now she's been in the minority for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she's not in her, what I've seen of her, she's not anti-progressive. Now there's a difference between how one person may define progressiveness True. and another, yeah. you know, the woman you the new, new elected Congresswoman from New York, who you just mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, she's clearly on the left of the party mm-hmm. yet, you know, she's like, she doesn't seem to be a shrinking violet to me. No, <laughs> no, no, no. And I hear what you're saying. And I think I, I, in doing my own reading on this, um, I was sort of by default as a dedicated far lefty against the status quo of Nancy Pelosi, the, the Debbie Wasserman Schultz's sort of uh, centrist version of Democrat. But uh, when you look at Nancy Pelosi's record, she's surprisingly progressive. Uh, when you look at the things that she's supported and backed up, I think her style is a little less confrontational than I'd like to see. But I think the progressive uh, uh, voice in the Democratic Party could and should get behind her in the and and also acknowledging that she has said that she may only do two years of this and then pass yeah, the baton. Yeah, exactly. And here's another point too. It hasn't been at least I haven't seen it as well publicized. Is I think that there's the potential for the positions underneath her, the Democratic whip, the Democratic majority leader in the mm. house, to be shaken up. Okay. Right. 
Those yeah. Are, you know, they're, they're older members of there. That, those are avenues there uh, for younger members to get in, the new blood to get in. And I think she would like to have, actually. You know, privately, I, I think that she would like to have some new blood that is more invigorating for the party and to put on the fresh face of the party that, that shines well to many voters. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that, you know, in Pelosi, this is not my endorsement of her. I want to, you know, I urge sure, people sure, sure. not to take that. Is that, you know, you have to... You have to look about what do you want to do as a party. Do you want to make statements or do you want to win? Okay. And I think that the last election pro- showed how the Democrats could be both prudent, pragmatic, and progressive. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> prudent, <laughs> pragmatic, and aggressive in in backing progressive candidates like you know the congressman, the newly the new elected congresswoman from New York City, far left, mm-hmm. and someone like a Connor Lamb, moderate Democrat from Western Pennsylvania who is going to win in that district where she wouldn't have won in that district. Right. So I think the party was really wise on how they supported candidates across the board. Um, and they opposed really conservative Democrats in the primary who wound up winning their nomination. So, you know, the party really needs to take a lesson, I think, from the Republicans in that if you if you go too far one way or the other, you're going to lose that center vote, which is critical to achieving the majority and then holding the majority. You know what I find interesting, and I know that there's been study after study done, that the number one reason people um, vote or cast their vote is based on you know emotion and then fear and then knowledge is like three or yeah. four on the list. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's this weird pitfall that we fall into when we talk about a Nancy Pelosi, right? Nancy Pelosi wins elections because she is the recognized name, yet right. we fatigue with the same old, same old. So it's weird. I mean, even even if you're voting for Nancy Pelosi, you're probably just voting against you know, basically what you believe, and you're just casting a vote because that is who you believe should win, and I don't want to take my chance voting on this other person because they might not win and the other people. So it's it, there again. So you go in and you're sort of you're fearful. And again, no. I think, and Tom, you, you did a really good job of, of pointing out that, that there's really nothing wrong with Nancy Pelosi. I mean, that, you know. Well, the difficulty, that, the only thing I would push back on. Wouldn't fix. No, no, but, <laughs> right. but the only thing I'd push back on is that, like, as I think people saw, too, with the advent of Bernie Sanders and the progressive agenda into the DNC and into the Democratic Party proper, there was a lot of uh, short shrift and marginalizing and like, yeah, 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 that's nice and all. And wouldn't it be great if. But like this, the Democratic Party has lost unions at this point. The Democratic Party has lost its reputation longstanding and well earned for the party of the working people. And I think the progressive agenda in here is concerned, and understandably so, that this will become, yeah, isn't that cute pat-pat on the head and why don't you go sit in the corner? Oh, I think I think you got a good point there uh, in the sense that, you know, Fool me once, shame on me. Yeah, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame. Whatever that thing goes, in that you know, if you look at the of the presidential primaries and, and that whole um, how that played out, as you described it, absolutely, it's a different situation. And you know, the, the finger pointing there goes a lot to Debbie Wasserman and not so much <laughs> to Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, I I'm think, with you there. You know, but I'm, never, I'm not quite sure. Uh, I'm sure that she, you know, was winking or not. Who knows? But again, you learn your lesson, and Pelosi, if she is does become speaker again, I think she's going to be aware of the the elements that contribute to the majority for the Democrats in the House. I should hope so, and, but then with the wants of, of Tom, Pe- enough. Go ahead. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, I'm done. 
Uh, I was just going to say, with the uh, with Tom Perez as the head of the DNC, and not a guy like Keith Ellison, who's like sort of wingman, so to speak, who is a far more progressive voice, a far more strident voice. This is a time. This is my own editorializing. This is a time when the country and the left of the, you know, anybody who's left of the fifty yard line is saying we need something different here. Not a, you know not Republican light, and not you know sort of glad handing and namby pamby about this is fascism. We're, this is supposed to be an opposition party. And a party that says, hey, it really sucks for working people in this country. Let's work and advocate for working people. And there's a lot of, you know, Nancy Pelosi is a, is a billionaire, if I'm not mistaken. There's a lot of people making choices about how the, how the country should continue that are based on really seemingly no tie-in to what life is like for actual working people. And so the progressive voice isn't just a symbolic and or philosophical slant. It's actually looking to advocate for the needs of hardworking people. And that, that's the most of us. Okay. So I would ask, you know, I would ask rhetorically anybody, what, what do working people need? And I know what they need because I am a working person. You, yeah. you guys are, I'm presuming, you know, Trust my fund. solution, I have the most radical solution and that is make Congress get, put them on the same health care plans as of America. There, there you go. <laughs> now you're talking. There because it is. As soon as you do that, right. Mm-hmm. They'll get their act together and yeah. fix everything. We're yeah. trying to fix it because they're impacted. That goes to your question about Pelosi being a, a billionaire or whatever. Mm. You know, there's a lot of rich people in Congress. There's a lot of rich people in the Trump administration. Uh, I, I don't, I don't think for one moment that uh, you know their daily lives or anything like that of mine yeah. or the people who I report for who read my stuff or hear my stuff. Right. But but then again, uh, you know, as you guys are two progressives. Think about who was one of the most progressive members of the Senate, Ted Kennedy. Um, I don't think anyone would question his progressive or liberal credentials. And, and yet, you know, he fought for the working man and woman pretty well yeah, when right. he could, and he was from a very rich family. So I think part of it also is intent of the individual, sure. uh, what they want to accomplish, if they can grasp what is needed. That's and the that's issue. The key. <laughs> it's not the background. I mean, FDR is another example, you know. Yeah, I mean, good. He, you know, uh, so, I mean, it's the person who what they want to do when they're in the position. You know, in some regards, you almost want to have, even this the argument, you want to have a wealthy person in there because they're not beholden to anybody, and they can do whatever they want to do. <laughs> uh, that doesn't seem to play out. No, that doesn't no. seem to play out that much anymore. But, you know, I, I hear that argument, but it goes down to, look, you know, just because, you know, don't forget Nancy Pelosi was born in Baltimore, Maryland, in, you know, a tough neighborhood. Mm. And so she grew up, and she's rich now, but maybe, you know, I, I remember my roots, and a lot of people remember their roots. So, uh, you know, I'm almost hesitant a little bit to, you know, when someone would, when I would do, when I do stories and someone starts whacking on somebody for being wealthy, mm. um, it, to me it's, you know, you're whacking on someone for being poor, who you're saying, well, that poor person can't appreciate the hard work that this family did for generations to get rich. It's the same argument. It's the same argument reversed. It doesn't have water necessarily. It's mm. too sweeping. Is what you know. It's not. I, I think I that, again, going back to from a pragmatic analytical point of view, I think who, I don't know which one of you guys said this, but Pelosi said she would like to be speaker for two years. Okay, mm-hmm. I think that's perfect because you know you can see how that could be a perfect scenario. Let me put it this way, not endorsing her. Someone who's a veteran like her, taking the helm again when yeah. the party regains the majority for two years, yeah. bringing in new people, um, showing them how the system works and also how to work the system, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And sort of that way you don't have a bunch of fresh faces in there who 
could get their clocks cleaned by the Republicans. Yeah, and right. her, her skill set is unquestionable, and I, I'm agreeing with you in that I find her more centrist than I'm comfortable with, but as a, as a progressive and a loudmouth one at that, I would say now is the time for Nancy Pelosi to continue to be Speaker. So let me let me, let me just bring this thing for, in for a landing. I just want to s- do a s- summarization of what we talked about mm-hmm. and what I believe we're going to pull out of this particular segment is that Tom Squitteri is endorsing Nancy Pelosi. Exactly right. That's, <laughs> that's what I heard too. I'm, no, pretty sure. I, I'm not at all. I'm, I'm, I'm endorsing. What I'm endorsing is I hope that the people who are coming to Congress that are new and full of blood yeah. will make the both from both parties uh, will make the Congress work a lot better. Yeah. And I think that any efforts to regain bipartisanship should be given a really good look and a fair opportunity to thrive and blossom because. That's sorely needed on Capitol Hill for years. I I think anybody endorse would endorse that. Um, I I'd like to meet some of these new members of Congress. Uh, it made me think about when I came to Washington many years ago with some, and there were a lot of new members coming in, and there was this great enthusiasm. And a lot of those folks changed it. I remember Speaker Tip O'Neill talking about this young guy named Leon Panetta who knew budget figures like crazy <laughs> and how he wanted to get Panetta involved in the leadership because they needed someone who understood the budget like him. Mm. Leon Panetta, who was a young congressman then from California, and we know what he's gone on to do. He was his illustrious career, mm. for most people may think anyway, he really served Depending, the government. Yeah. And I remember that. He was people like Panetta who were young, and Tip O'Neill recognized, that, Tip O'Neill recognized the need and the vibrancy of the fresh blood, and he incorporated it when he could. And I think that's a that, that's kind of a good template to look at and adjust as times are different now than when O'Neill was speaker, of course. But mm-hmm. that, that's not that's not a bad thing to look at. No, what I, I, think I would agree critical with you. Is I'm going to go back. I'm going to circle back to what I said at the beginning. Of this, you know, the, the, this caucus, this bipartisan caucus. This is the time if they really want to be problem solvers that you stand up and you say we're going to do this, and then you do it because that sends a signal. Now, there's nine members who say they're not going to vote for Pelosi under any circumstances. If if the numbers hold up, and I think the last count was the Democrats have about an 18 or 20 seat edge now in the new House. Mm-hmm. So she can lose nine Democratic votes and still become Speaker. Yeah. All right, let them vote against her. Yep. You know, And let's see if any Republicans vote for her. If they do, I would say that would be a remarkable signal that the House has some potential for bipartisanship. One would hope. All right. Well, here let's leave it here. Next week, uh, should we uh, be lucky enough to to, or should you be unlucky enough to draw the short (laughs) store straw and talk to us again? Uh, We want to talk chemical welfare, uh, warfare, and uh, the E. coli thing that Trump's releasing on the nation. Is that what it is? (laughs) It's just a theory I'm working on. I don't know anything about that. Sorry. (laughs) All right, Tom. Thanks for jumping on the pod with us today. We really appreciate it. See you later. Take care. Bye bye. Okay, but when we return, I really do. I want to. I want to talk about the the um, Trump lifting the the bans on certain things and changing things, which is which is bringing E. coli into <laughs> into our into our e. food stream. E. coli. <laughs> yeah, I saw the meme. <laughs> All right. All right. Listen, when we come back, uh, that's what we're gonna we're gonna t- spend a few uh, quality moments on that particular topic. I am fish. I'm Steve. And you're listening to The Ear Spoon, brought to you by Mocha Joe's and Serious Natural Remedies. Thanks. This is The Ear Spoon with Fish and Steve. Serious Natural Remedies offers New England's largest selection of CBD products for health and wellness. 
With over 60 brands, we represent all methods of CBD delivery, including extracts, capsules, edibles, vape, topical, body care, and beverage products infused with hemp. We bring together artisanal quality and science-based healing. Experience the healing benefits of CBD for people and pets. Visit us in Brattleboro or at our flagship store, 190 College Street, Burlington. One of our favorite things to do while we're doing the podcast, Mm -hmm. drink Mocha Joe's coffee. We really need to get a sound effects library. <laughs> All right, but that was inadequate, but it was real. It was real, authentic. And Mocha Joe's uh, has started here in our little hamlet of Brattleboro, Vermont, in yes. the late '80s, and yes. has boomed. And they uh, they do all kinds of great uh, products and have swag. You can go to their website, mochajoes.com, yeah. order coffee by the pound, uh, and we uh, we eat it by the pound here. We do. I don't. I prefer just to eat the beans straight. Straight, no, a crunchy, not a little true. bit. One of my favorite things about Mocha Joe's is mm. the fact that they support the the farmer. Yeah, you know they really do. They have the fair trade coffees that they they go after all the time. They're constantly uh, traveling around and yeah. And I got to say that I mean that's one of the first places I ever heard of the term fair trade. When I first got here twenty years ago, they were talking about this well before I think a lot of other people. And certainly it's now quite a thing. But being hip to how you supply your people and your your customers and caring at all and also, I mean, it ultimately winds up being a good economic choice, but they're just, it's the rightest thing to do. And, and, and farmers get kind of screwed, and Mocha Joe's makes sure that they don't. That's right. And it's one of the reasons why uh, we just love having them as part of the podcast and uh, hope to have them for years to come. Amen. So go check it out, mochajoes.com. If you live uh, here locally, of course, you just stop down at the little cafe. <sighs> That's one of the coolest shops in town. Definitely is. More at the earspoon.com. All right, and we're back. I am Fish. And I'm Steve. Did we say that? We say that a lot. We say it just to identify our voices. We shouldn't, people should know. They need to know. Uh, this is, uh, of course, uh, we want to thank, as you just heard, our, from our sponsor, Serious Natural Remedies and Mocha Joe's Coffee. Right. Uh, both of which you will find will be E. coli free. We promise you that. Safe assumption. Yeah, absolutely safe assumption. You know why? Because most of their stuff that they source is organic in nature. And and the more and more I get to know about uh, about the things that we eat and we consume, um, buy it locally. It's always a good choice. Yes, from romaine lettuce from your local farmer to kind of anything. Yeah. There was a time, I must say, I mean, we have... There was a time in the 50s, especially post-World War II, where the idea of massive farming and massive uh, agriculture and massive larger growing, uh, what's the word I want, agencies, let's say, um, the idea was we'll deliver food to America and then we'll have it cheaper, better, et cetera. And quite clearly, we know these many years later, that was not the case. It, it led to a depletion of nutrition. It led to, uh, um, you know, from the McDonald'sizing of beef to, and if anybody hasn't seen Food Incorporated, I recommend oh, it. yeah, it's yeah. a film Very worth good. seeing. But it gives you a sense of how we got to where we are now. And now we've kind of come, uh, are curling around back to, for those of us in areas like Brattleboro <clears throat> that have a healthy and thriving farmer's market, both summertime and wintertime, where you support your local agriculture, you support your local growers, you support your local farmers so that they can make a living providing you healthy, nutritive uh, alternatives to the pablum that is delivered to you through many supermarkets. And we are sort of coming back to local is better, regional is better. I think in some ways one of the difficulties for this country politically and otherwise has been that we became Merca 
instead yeah. of individuated states where we sort of worked in our region and there was an overarching you know federal government but largely we've become this monolithic you know unmanageable seething mess of states with different needs and wants etc never more better uh, uh, exemplified than with the discussion around uh, legalization of cannabis. But I've never a, heard of it. Yeah. Separate, separate issue for a separate day. Yeah. Have a, how, how, how's that for a turn in fate? The, 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 the wacky weed, the, mm. uh, the ganja, the, the, uh, the wampum. Depends on whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to call I'm it. I'm going to call it that for now. <laughs> wampum? <Yes. laughs> right. That's an old college term. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, you talk about being down to, to seeds and twigs. Here, yeah, yeah. here we are. It, but uh, only we're referring to our food supply. Uh, yeah, yeah. Weed, which was supposed to was supposed to kill you, and lettuce was supposed to be the healthy thing for you. That's kind of turned on its Go head figure. right now, huh? Go figure. And this all comes, I believe, from the restrictions and some sanctions and some things on the way farmers were allowed to kind of uh, hydrate their crops, so they can just had to pull it from a clean water supply. Now it just doesn't matter. You just pull it from the cheap water supply, which is partially being blamed for the E. coli that we are experiencing on romaine lettuce and the restrictions yeah. from where we buy it and how we buy it and the cut and the, the some of the restrictions that were on these people to make sure that we've got this. So here's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've got E. coli in our food stream now. Right. So I couldn't help but notice people saying, like, what was it, 11 people got sick from it? Yeah. So you ban romaine lettuce? How many people shot to death have to be killed to make any changes in, in, in gun law? But I digress. That's oh, a separate well, issue. Hang on. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, once you can start frying fucking lettuce, then they'll protect it there a little. There you go. <laughs> All right. Once you can come Second up with Amendment. a decent fried fried lettuce. Then uh, wrap it in a Snickers. We have to have access to our lettuce in case of tyranny. Yeah. Or something. That's it. You know. Anyway, I, I'm just saying the, the ability to calculate risk, as a friend of mine said recently on Facebook, is like this is worth discussing. What's genuinely risky to Americans? What's genuinely a threat to your well-being and what's not? I understand that we have systems involved that would say, hey – Something happened to a bunch of people, so therefore we want to prevent it from happening to other people, so let's close the door on this, so blah, 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 blah. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? But God knows there are things that make things really, really bad for people that we go, hey, what are you going to do? Hey. <laughs> uh, how many dead? Uh, hey, we've got to protect people from romaine lettuce, but you can't have health care. <laughs> yeah, that's it. No health care for you. Uh, you know, especially, no, I'm sorry. E. coli is a pre-existing condition. We won't cover it. We're very concerned about the well-being of our citizenry mm. when it comes to lettuce and, and you know, communicable, you know, bacterial de- diseases. But when it comes to basically treating fundamental breakdown of your body or disease, yeah, kind of no. Sorry. You're on your own. <laughs> you know. So it's it's I mean it's 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 preposterous to think that that on a federal level we are concerned about the well-being of many and you know how things get shut down and how things get you know banned so to speak right. it matters one would think that if somebody said hey 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 I heard something terrible about romaine lettuce let's make sure everybody's okay and then you help the romaine growers by you know providing them with replacement dollars for those things right. and you help people from getting sick that to me is a good in- interference on the part of federal government there are many people on the conservative side who would say there's no good thing to federal government we shouldn't have that well in fact like well you know then if you don't have regulation in place and and an e coli breakout happens then 800 or 8000 or 800,000 people get sick from romaine instead of 8 right you know? So, but God forbid we have regulation. You know. Stop. 
Just a, such a hippie. I know. Is, Endlessly so. Endlessly I guess. so. But you know, it it is it, it it boggles the mind when you think about about absolutely. You know, th- these are and and th- this is all coming again uh, from 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 the White House. Mm. And and lifting constant lifting of sanctions and and imposing new sanctions that make no sense that just right. do nothing but hurt and and then you know and then we get this report from this guy in Burlington, Vermont, who had his Trump twenty twenty flag pulled down and burned. Oh no! And throwed on his porch, no. and I don't even know why they did. But uh, uh, you know, honestly, I'm against something like that. I know? am. I yeah. I am. I am ostensibly for for dead set against. That kind of that kind of out uh, outright just bad behavior. You're pulling somebody's yeah. flag. You knock the it's flagpole down. It's yeah. his flagpole. You cannot agree with it, and that's fine. Let everybody know what an asshole he is, right? <laughs> so and yeah, just let it keep flying, right? Fly and, away. And he did his interview in his MAGA hat, and oh, uh, just said, you know, I I, I am uh, I'm I'm open to I'm open, but this is a this is my First Amendment right, and it was like he's right, and then bang, but there it is. Mm. But there it is. There is that whole thing. Your first right. amendment. You have a president who shits all over right. First Amendment rights. You and have a person who literally will will poison you with E. coli so that you forever, for the rest of your life, shit yourself. Right. And don't you dare kneel during a football game. Yeah. But for your first. But but. but. I don't. <laughs> so somebody burned it and then threw it on his porch. Uh, and he goes, well, I don't know if that was on fire when it hit my porch. Well, look at your porch. Are there any burn marks on it? Well, you I had a, huh? I huh? had a black. What are, you, what are you fucking Clouseau? Just fucking look down. Are there burn marks? Was it last? It was last year. We had a Black Lives Matter sign lit on fire in our front uh, uh, yard. Sign uh, in our lit on fire in our front yard during. Oh, it was autumn. When all the leaves were dry, yeah. could have gone under the porch, could have lit the house on fire in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like so. There's a point at which, like, if you don't like what somebody's saying, just let them say it and walk away and, and mock them appropriately on social media. <laughs> of course, <laughs> that has to be done. Uh, you know, uh, but yeah, there is that. I mean, I can't tell you some twit that I keep on my Facebook feed for some ungodly fucking reason. Posted something like, there hasn't been a black person enslaved in this country since uh, blah, 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 nor has there been anybody who has owned a slave. Uh, so can't we just get past it? Oh. <laughs> let me guess. Let me guess. Was this a white person? How'd you know? I don't know. I just know these things. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> and a woman, no less. Go figure. Yeah. Right. Right. So, you know, Trump Can't is, we just get over it and like move forward? That was so long ago. Just keep it positive. Right. So, listen, white lady. Yeah. Until we dismantle the system that continues to oppress people in large numbers based on their skin color, we have a responsibility to push forward and say, yes, this is a conversation we continue to have to have, sadly. And right. we have to own that piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it doesn't get to go away. No. It doesn't get to go away. Uh, you, the the president that you appear appear to support does get to go away, Yay. and that's a good thing. And uh, you know, on January one, I'll be curious to see how uh, how focused you'll be on on your rights as they begin to, well, as far as they're concerned, be stripped away. Because you know, when the house starts uh, investigating, ah, uh, yes. Let's just say the it won't be the first. It'll be when do they swear in the Beebles? Do you know January first? 
Really? No. Very first day. It's very first day. That's January, it. Right? That's, that's your that that's your fucking New Year's resolution. There Get you. to fucking work. <laughs> God damn it! I can't take much more of this shit anymore. Knock the champagne out of their hands. Now that's get to work. It. Yeah. Oh, we, I got to get an ibuprofen sponsor in here. I got a little bit of a headache. Hey, now you're talking. Yeah. Nice. All right. So like Listen, we'll bring it in for a landing right there. I want to okay. thank uh, Tom Squiteri from uh, Talk Media News for our jumping Thanks on the pod Tom. and giving us his Pentagon education. Right, right, right. Thanks, and, Tom. And I uh, want to thank, uh, again, Serious Natural Remedies. And Mocha Joe's. And Mocha Joe's. God All bless right. them. We'll talk to you next week. I've been Fish. I've been Steve the whole time. The whole entire time. Most of it. Most of it. Some of it, maybe not. Up for debate. Talk to you next week. This is Earspoon. You're home for the shit you're thinking anyway. Wow.